Hello, and welcome into Airing It Out, a Penn State football podcast brought to you by the Center Daily Times. I'm your host, John Sauber, and I'm joined, as always, by Josh Moyer. Josh, how's it going? It's going well. We're only a couple days until Selection Day Sunday, and then I'm looking forward to it here, John. Yeah, it should be an exciting uh, exciting weekend of college football. Of course, Penn State not participating in championship Saturday, but I won't complain. I will sit and watch games for 12 hours, uh, and, and I'm sure you will be doing the same. Uh, there's a lot that goes on that could impact Penn State. Uh, We'll get to that here in a little bit, but first is, of course, this past weekend's opponent, and that is Division Three football school Rutgers, uh, and the uh, surprising performance they put out there, but I think the more surprising performance that Penn State put out there, honestly. Uh, what are your thoughts on this past weekend's game and it not being the sort of blowout that everyone anticipated that it should have been? Well, well, two things. First of all, to our, our loyal listeners, uh, we won't be talking about Rutgers long, so buckle up. Uh, but uh, one thing I will say about uh, Penn State Rutgers Penn State kind of blew it here. I mean, they were they were fortunate that in the college football playoff rankings on Tuesday, they're ranked above Alabama and Auburn. But if they were still ranked above Florida, they dropped. Uh, well, excuse me, they stayed steady at number 10, but Florida jumped them by beating Florida State. If Penn State beats Rutgers like they're supposed to and it's no struggle, Penn State stays atop of Florida, which – I mean, we'll talk in a little bit about the ripple effect and, and what bowl Penn State's going to and what it looks like. But if Penn State beats Rutgers like it should be, it looks like the Orange Bowl is probably the floor. Not the case anymore. So I, I just thought that was, that was one of the worst performances I have ever seen, you know, by Penn State. I mean, you talked about, uh, you know, trying to get this team up to play and I just thought it was a failure all around. I mean, blame the coaching staff, blame the game plan, blame whatever you want. There is plenty of blame to go around here. But I thought, heck, it might have been the most surprising performance of the year from my perspective. Yeah, and and at the same time, it never really felt like the result was in doubt. And I think that's an indictment of how awful Rutgers is. Uh, And, of course, they did get something right this week, as we know. They finally hired Greg Schiano, so good for Rutgers, maybe. I mean, we, hey, we, we, give them, we give them a lot of hell, you know. So, so I think we do need to take a moment. This is exactly what they needed. It was the only path to any kind of conceivable success. Kudos to Rutgers. This is the first good thing they've done all season. Yeah, and, and I honestly expect them to be a consistent bowl-eligible team now, which I know to Penn State fans doesn't seem like much, but for Rutgers, that's good. And, you know, maybe you get a, an 8-9, 10 win season every, you know, eight or so years, and I think Shiana's capable of that. He's clearly a great recruiter in New Jersey. But as for this past weekend's game, Penn State's defense no-showed for quite a bit, and it's just so happened that Rutgers' uh, offense couldn't take advantage more often than not. Uh, they kept leading these long drives down the field. That's why the scoring was so low, and uh, – Penn State really couldn't, you know, turn the ball over. They couldn't stop the rushing game, and they allowed Rutgers to control the clock. And if you remember in my key matchup last week, I said that's what they would have to do to keep this within three touchdowns, and that's exactly what happened. Rutgers controlled the ball. They controlled the clock, and they sort of didn't let Penn State get their offense going. And, you know, I, I know people would like to criticize the Penn State offense for only scoring 27, but with the offense they were running, that, there wasn't going to be much better scenario unless they got a ton of possessions, and, and Penn State's defense couldn't get them a ton of possessions. Uh, so at the end of the day, just I, I, I think a disappointing performance for everyone. I think you're right about that. But I think especially disappointing for the defense that, you know, just couldn't get off the field on third and long and, you know, third and medium even. Well, I mean, on the plus side, I, I get what you're saying with that. But, you know, on the plus side, the defense did allow six points. You know, yep. they did have quite a few tackles for loss. You know, I look at the offense and, you know, again, Ricky Ronnie has been up and down all season. And I get that Will Levis is a backup quarterback. But my goodness, n- no one – 
has thrown for fewer yards against Rutgers this season than Penn State. You know, Liberty threw for, I think, twice as many yards as, as Penn State did. You can't tell me that Will Levis is not more talented than Liberty's starting quarterback. And if he's not, then, you know, James Franklin and company need to hit the recruiting trail a little bit harder for more quality backups. Uh, you know, I just thought overall it, it was really just kind of an uninspired game plan. I mean, you look at the passing offense, I think, of the first, uh, I want to say the first seven Penn State targets, six were intended for K.J. Hamler. I mean, there was just, there was nothing creative here. There, there was nothing to hang your hat on. And if it wasn't for that underthrown 44-yard touchdown pass, you know, he wouldn't have even, uh, Will Levis wouldn't even have had 50 yards, you know, passing. So, I mean, it was just a, it, it was a poor effort all around. It was as poor of an effort I've seen from a Penn State team, you know, since since I started covering them, like, uh, when was that, like 2007. So, I mean, yeah, this, uh, you know, if, if you watch Saturday's game and you thought it was bad, yeah, you were completely right. I mean, there, there's no nice way to say it. Nothing went really well. Hey, I mean, hats off to, to Journey Brown and, and uh, Micah Parsons. But, but outside of that, yeah, it was, it was definitely something you want to move on quickly from. Yeah, and, and I think it's an indictment of Levis, too. Uh, you know, they clearly don't have the confidence in him as a passer. Uh, yeah. he's, he doesn't seem to be the answer at quarterback. And, you know, as much as I get on Clifford, uh, as, as, you know, I, I said, I've said before, I don't think he's a quarterback that can win you a championship. Uh, he can sort of guide a team there, but I don't think he can win one. Uh, and, and I think that's a problem. But, uh, you know, Levis clearly isn't that either. If they're going to run a Levis offense, a Levis-led offense, it's going to be run heavy. It's going to be a lot of power read. It's going to be a lot of spreading the defense out and just letting them bulldoze teams a little bit like those Tim Tebow offenses we saw in the, you know, in the 2000s at Florida. And I don't think that's the kind of offense Penn State wants to run. I think they want to stretch the field. I want to think they want to get big plays. They want to get their playmakers in space, and they want to let them go to work. So I just don't think Levis, unless he makes some serious strides with his accuracy, is going to be that quarterback for this team. He had three passes in particular downfield that were just brutal. Even the touchdown pass, super underthrown. Uh, the DB just didn't see it and couldn't adjust, and Jahan Dotson did, and it turned into a touchdown. But, yeah, just you know, an uninspiring performance all around. And like you said, you want to move on from it quickly, so we will too. Uh, oh, there's, not whole, there's not a whole no lot more to take from that. Yeah, it's you know good for them getting the right coach, but now it's it's time to move on uh, from Rutgers until Penn State plays them again next year. Fortunately for everybody, uh, of course, we will be making fun of them throughout that time. Don't worry about that. But now it's you know it's, it's on to the the next step for Penn State, and that's some bowl destinations. Uh, and right now it looks like you know there's there's still a strong chance at a New Year's Six bowl. Uh, we'll see what comes to fruition after this championship Saturday, but. Uh, let's sort of run it down here, Josh. You wrote the story yesterday, of course, on you know what their possible destinations are. So, you know, what do you think is the most likely outcome for Penn State here after this weekend? I think everybody would tell you the same thing there right now. That the most likely outcome is is absolutely the Rose Bowl because the path is rather simple. Uh, Ohio State beats Wisconsin big. Penn State gets into the Rose Bowl. I mean, the key with the the Rose Bowl obviously is they take the typically again they can take whoever the heck they want, but you know. Typically, they take the highest-ranked Big Ten team that's not going to the playoff. So essentially, you know, what we have here is right now, Wisconsin is number eight. If the season ended tomorrow, Wisconsin's going to the Rose Bowl. And we have number 10, Penn State. So that question is, if Wisconsin loses, will they drop below Penn State in the final college football rankings that will be released Sunday? If they do, Penn State gets into the Rose Bowl. So, so that's what we'll be looking for. It's very straightforward, and I'd say, you know, that one, if I had to put a percentage on it, there's a 50% chance they, they make it to the Rose Bowl. Uh, 
you know, next we have the Orange Bowl, which, hey, you know, great. Orange Bowl is still a New Year's Six Bowl. For that to happen, uh, you, you want to see two SEC teams um, – you want to see two SEC teams in the college football playoff. That means you want to see the Georgia LSU game close. You want to see Georgia and LSU both get into the playoff because the Orange Bowl picks the the, the best team remaining from Notre Dame, SEC, and uh, Big Ten. So, you know, that's what you want to see with the Orange Bowl. And then we also have the Cotton Bowl, uh, which, uh, yeah, we, we, we have all sorts of kind of goofy potential outcomes with that. But uh, you and I talked earlier, and it seems the key to that is simply that one of the big that the Big Twelve loser in the championship game drops below Penn State. So you don't want to see that Big Twelve game close. It doesn't matter who wins; just have one team blow out the other. And so I, I if I, if, if I again percentages, I'm going to say 50% Orange Bowl, or excuse me, 50% Rose Bowl, 30% Orange Bowl, 10% Cotton, 10% elsewhere. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's pretty close to what I would have. I would actually flip uh, the Cotton Bowl and the Orange Bowl just because I think it's more likely. So basically, to get in the Cotton Bowl, Penn State would need uh, the SEC team to fall out of the playoff race, which I think we're both sort of uh, expecting to happen if Georgia loses big. I know I expect Georgia to lose big to LSU, uh, so we would expect them to fall out, and then we would expect you know Florida to stay ahead of Penn State, which right now they are, and uh, Wisconsin to make the Rose Bowl, and. The one thing that gets me about the Rose Bowl situation, and I'm with you, I think if Wisconsin loses big to Ohio State, Penn State should be in. Wisconsin would have lost to Ohio State twice, the first time big, the second time big, and to a bad Illinois team. Uh, but but I think there's a chance, based on something Rob Mullen said, the, the chair of the College Football Playoff Committee, uh, after the, the rankings were released Tuesday night, he mentioned that that the committee sort of acknowledges that this is an extra game, that it may not, you know, be as indicative of, you know, just because they have a third loss, that may not matter as much, you know, if, if Wisconsin's 10 and two or 10 and three, excuse me, and Penn state's 10 and two, that they may sort of discount that third loss because it was just an extra game against, of course, what would be the top team in the country. And I thought that was an interesting quote. Uh, I still think that Penn state gets into the Rose bowl, but I think they sort of laid the groundwork there to potentially keep Wisconsin uh, above Penn state. Uh, and, And if that happens, then I think the cotton bowl becomes the most likely uh, I would assume the loser of the Big 12 title game falls behind Penn State. The committee seems to love Penn State uh, and hasn't been as high on the, the two Big 12 teams. And I think they're sort of looking for an excuse to drop one of them, and, and the loser of that game will likely drop. Uh, but I'm with you. I, I think Rose Bowl is most likely one of the two other New Year's Sixes is second most likely. Uh, and then beyond that, it's probably the Outback Bowl, uh, which I'm sure Penn State fans would not be as happy with just because it, it is not a New Year's Six Bowl. There's not the – recognition but the opponent could be better and we'll get to that here uh and but first let's let's look at that that top choice that we talked about with the Rose Bowl and you know the potential opponent there and I think you and I both agree that if Penn State makes the Rose Bowl they're in all likelihood going to face Oregon yeah yeah I mean because the odds are right now it's between Utah and Oregon and if you have if you have LSU beating Georgia big that means Georgia falls out of the playoff and odds are Utah is going to take its spot so uh, again, you know, a lot of stuff could happen, but really if Penn State makes the Rose Bowl, there are two scenarios, play Utah, play Oregon. That's it. And yeah, if, if I had to put my money on one or the other, I, I would say Oregon as well. I think mo- most prognosticators, um, I think the overwhelming sort of favorite bowl, favorite matchup that people have been picking has been Penn State, Oregon, Rose Bowl. And, and that's exactly why, because the odds certainly seem to favor that scenario. 
Yeah, and, and I think that would be a, a really fun matchup. Uh, we've seen what Oregon's offense is capable of. And, of course, you get the return of Jawan Johnson, uh, who has played really well for Oregon this year to add another layer to that game. Uh, of course, next, then we'll go in order of sort of how I had it laid out here. And, and that's the Cotton Bowl. And again, the opponent is very obvious here. Oh. That game is going to be a group of five opponent. It's either Memphis or Cincinnati. Whoever wins the AAC this weekend gets in. And I actually think Memphis is a nightmare opponent for Penn State. Uh, the quarterback, Brady White, was someone that Penn State recruited out of high school, ultimately ended up going to, I believe, Arizona State before transferring to Memphis. Mike Norvell may or may not be the head coach, you know, when they get into the New Year's Six Bowl, if they were to win this weekend. We'll see how that shakes out. Sounds like he's getting looks at, at Florida State, at Arkansas. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think that is sort of the nightmare matchup for Penn State. And not just because of that, but because there, there's really no wins there. Either you beat a, a group of five team uh, in a bowl game that you should win, or you lose to a group of five team getting your third loss of the year. Yeah, yeah. You know, I – I feel like the Cotton Bowl just doesn't carry the prestige it used to be because, you know, like you said, I mean, every year it's essentially the same storyline. Uh, you know, hey, you know, good Power Five team, like you're supposed to win this game, and if you don't, uh, doesn't look good for you. So, yeah, you know, it's 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 not great. It's almost like playing Rutgers. It's a lose lose proposition. Yeah, and um, the only the only way there's value added there, I think, is if you get a team like UCF a few years back when they beat Auburn. When it was sort of, you know, you everyone UCF or USF UCF when UCF. when yeah okay. when when, Look, when I mean that's were, true. that's a good point that's a good point when they claimed the national title and you know you got to see them sort of destroy Auburn uh, and I think that was a lot of fun but you're right it's it just doesn't have the prestige just because they are tied to the Group of Five champion generally speaking uh, but next up of course is the Orange Bowl another incredibly straightforward one uh, unless like there is a crazy scenario here where Clemson somehow loses to Virginia this weekend and the committee thinks that Clemson doesn't deserve to be in the playoff which they don't seem to like Clemson all that much so I won't put it past them at this point but unless that happens Virginia is going to be in the Orange Bowl and they're going to take on you know either that Big Ten SEC or Notre Dame uh doesn't look like it'll be Notre Dame uh but yeah another matchup I think that isn't really that positive for Penn State if they take on Virginia yeah, yeah. Well, right now Virginia is ranked number twenty-three, so that certainly isn't uh, <laughs> certainly isn't as sexy as as Oregon. But I mean, the ACC is down this year. On the plus side, Penn State should be the heavy favorite in that game. So, hey, if you're a fan, you you, you know you you pay for the tickets in the hotel, you know, down at the Orange Bowl. On the plus side, you should be celebrating a win. I, I remember uh, years and years ago. Uh, what was the uh, when when Penn State played Florida State? That was the Orange Bowl, correct? Yep, that was two thousand five, two thousand six game. That that was that was one game that everyone thought was going to be a blowout. Penn State was the much better team, and it ended up going into three overtimes. John. Yep, three overtimes. Three overtimes. So uh, you know, sometimes you still get good games when you don't have great opponents, and we've seen that before in the Orange Bowl. So yeah, I mean, you, you kind of like to see a sexier opponent, but that definitely I. I I don't think there's a – well, I guess like you said, if maybe Virginia would beat, you know, Clemson, but – yeah, and Clemson were to somehow fall out, but then even then – would be difficult. Yeah, it would be a total disaster scenario for everybody involved, I think. Because actually I think still, Virginia would still go because it'd be the ACC champ. Because they won, yeah. So, so who knows what would happen with Clemson. I'm kind of now rooting for that because, again, I love the chaos. Uh, but, of course, the, the other matchup that I think that, that we'll be looking at here uh, – and, and like you said, to be clear on, on Virginia, that's a game Penn State should win. Unlike Memphis, who could beat Penn State, I don't think Virginia could. I think that would be an easy win for Penn State and a good win uh, in the Orange Bowl. But the last sort of matchup I'm looking at, and that's if they somehow fall to the Outback Bowl, is a Which, potential game 
against Alabama. Well, and, and how much well, – well, just to let people know how much needs to happen for Penn State to fall past those three bowls. Let's, let's go through it here quick. So, uh, uh, Georgia has to lose big. Yep. Um, Wisconsin, Ohio State, it, it doesn't really matter with that, but Wisconsin would get the Rose Bowl bid over Penn State. That has to happen. And, you know, from there, it helped me out. The, the Big 12 loser has to stay ahead of Penn State, knocking them out of the Cotton Bowl – and Florida has to stay ahead of Penn State. Well, that's obviously in, going to happen. Yes. Yeah. Neither Penn State nor Florida play. Right. Well, so, you could see, you know, maybe a, a win of Florida's gets devalued this weekend. A loss gets uh, devalued. Changes oh, can I happen there. About that. Yeah. And so there's there's little things that could make changes there. It seems like there's not a lot separating those teams with them swapping spots this week after pretty meaningless games, honestly. Uh, so there could be some change there. And uh, I, I think that would be really interesting, though, because there's it's feasible. It's just not all that likely, you know, each of these individual things could happen, but it's just not likely that everything all happens together. Uh, but if it were to happen and Auburn were to stay ahead of Alabama and get in the new year's six bowl, which I think we're all anticipating uh, because they did win the head to head there, then we would have Penn state, Alabama in all likelihood in the outback bowl. And I tell you what, that is the one that I'm rooting for. Like with no, with no dog in the fight here, I just want to see those two teams go at it. It's a winnable game for Penn state too, because the Alabama defense isn't uh, good at all really. Uh, but you know, I, I expect Penn state to give Alabama a game, especially because it's an Alabama team that could be let down a little bit, uh, a little bit disappointed that they're not in a new Year's six bowl, that they're not in the playoff. Uh, you know, I'd, an Alabama team that's sort of lethargic a little bit and led by Mac Jones instead of Tua Tagovailoa, uh, I think it could be a lot of fun. Uh, I, I, you know, I would enjoy watching the game. Uh, and, you know, I'm not sure where you fall on that, but I, I think that would be one that I would be really looking forward to as opposed to a, you know, a Penn State-Memphis matchup. Uh, yeah, I, I'm sort of torn here because, I, well, I absolutely think playing Alabama would be the better matchup than Memphis or Vir Virginia, certainly. But by the same token, you know, you want the more prestigious bowl too. So, you know, as someone who's going to cover the game, uh, you know, I want to cover the Rose Bowl. You know, I mean, it, it, it's prestigious. You know, I, I don't get to go to California very often. As a reporter, that is what I am, you know, that, that that's the bowl that, uh, you know, would be interesting if Penn State gets into. Um, you know, eh, Outback Bowl, been there, seen that, meh, doesn't excite me. Yeah, I'm I'm all about that that high level. Only have football. so many blooming onions, John Sobber. <laughs> they just uh, lose their luster after like number six. I beg to differ, but you know we'll we'll see what happens this weekend. There's a lot on the line here. Uh, there's a lot, as you can tell, that's going to go into uh, where Penn State ends up. So just sit back, enjoy the ride, enjoy some football on Saturday, and where Penn State ends up, they end up. But in all likelihood, that's going to be a New Year's Six Bowl, which. Going into the year is not something that either you or I projected, or, or many no, people not projected. At all. Uh, so, I mean, it's got to be a win for Penn State fans either way. Yeah, well, and just one thing I will say about that quick. Uh, did talk to Penn State's players Saturday after the game and ask them what bowl they'd like to go to. And overwhelmingly, it was either as long as the New York Six, we don't care, or um, out of the six uh, guys I talked to, three or four of them said Rose Bowl. Um, the seniors wanted to avenge their loss from – you know, how many years ago or, you know, players just, you know, that was a game they were very well aware of, knew the pageantry surrounding it and wanted to be a part of that. So, you know, Penn State's rooting for the Rose Bowl. That means Penn State is rooting for Ohio State to win big on Saturday night. So that might not feel right if you're a Penn State fan, <laughs> but, you know, that's what you're going to have to do. Yeah, and I'm, I'm with you. I think 
Uh, I think a lot of those guys, you know, from that 2016 team probably want to avenge that loss to USC and get their shot at another Rose Bowl. Uh, of course, you know, wherever they play in the bowl game, uh, Yitor Grossmatos will be playing with them in his final game as a Penn State Nittany Lion. Of course, Yitor announced his decision to enter the NFL draft, but said he will in all likelihood play in the bowl game, which, you know, is uh, is a big plus for Penn State fans getting to see, see him play one last time. Uh, he was dominant against Ohio State. He's been you know, a little bit if uh, up and down this year, but still when he's at his best, he's one of the best in the country. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on him leaving and, you know, the the sort of projection for him moving forward? Well, I don't think there was a more obvious guy who's going to leave early than Yitro Grossmatos. I mean, we essentially knew for probably the last like 14 months this was going to happen because since then, uh, Yitro Grossmatos has been a projected first-round NFL draft pick. Uh, really, if you look at any uh, mock draft right now, he's going usually in the late first round. I've seen as high as number six overall to the Atlanta Falcons, which, no, I, I do not think that's going to happen. Uh, but you never know. He's he's on the top 30 of Mel Kuyper's, or excuse me, uh, Todd McShay's big board. Um, ESPN scout Sink has him as, uh, you know, I think number 29. You know, I think CBS Sports had him going to the Cowboys around 28. You know, uh, someone else had him going at number 26. So there's uh, every, essentially everyone thinks this guy is a day one pick. At worst, he should be early day two. Um, and one thing that James Franklin has stressed time and time again, hey, you know, I get, you know, kids want to leave early these days, you know, more than ever, more juniors than ever before declaring early. But Franklin only thinks it makes sense to leave if you're going to be a first round NFL draft pick. Well, Ytor Grossmatos is. You, you, you can't blame him for going. I think even James Franklin probably knew he lost that battle. Um, the good news is Penn State is loaded at defensive end. I, I don't see this hurting them in the long term. You know, Jason Owe definitely needs to take a step up in his third year. He's going to be one of the guys next year. And uh, Adisa Isaac, you know, has shown a lot of flashes too, which, I mean, hey, maybe they'll need both to step up because another guy, uh, you know, John Sauber, who, who could be on the fence, um, or could leave is, is Redshirt Jr., you know, Shaka Tony. Oh, tell me, what's your sense on him? Yeah, uh, I, I think it's one that's up in the air. Uh, I don't know, you know, that he's going to be drafted in the second or third round or even at all. Uh, you know, I think the, you know, you get into the fifth, sixth round, uh, things sort of go haywire. Uh, and really guys that you expect to go undrafted get drafted. So things, you know, he could end up getting drafted if he declares. But, you know, I think it's yeah, I, I think he's, uh, he's iffy, uh, you know, uh, whether or not he goes. Of course, he's a uh, redshirt junior. I believe he has his degree or will have it uh, at the end of the spring semester here. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that's a guy that's on the fence. But like you, I don't think even if he goes that it's going to affect Penn State too much. Uh, I'm very high on Adisa Isaac and Jason Oway. I think those two could start tomorrow for, you know, they could start in the bowl game for Penn State, and Penn State would be perfectly fine at defensive end, if not, uh, uh, you know, a top-level team because they're both such good edge rushers, but yeah, it would, it would definitely hurt to lose Tony. Uh, but you know, I get the sense that that's something that's on the fence. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, something that's been different this year that we haven't seen before is Penn state has been announcing whether or not guys are going to stay or leave ahead of the ball traditionally. And by traditionally, I mean, literally every year Franklin has been here until now they've, they've told all these guys to, to, to wait until after the bowl game to announce what they're doing. So Everyone knew Saquon Barkley was going to leave because, you know, he was going to be the number two, number three overall draft pick. And, you know, he waited until after, uh, you know, the, the Rose Bowl uh, or, you know, after the bowl season to announce that, which, 
was interesting. But, um, you know, so, so obviously we know Yitor Grossmantos is heading to the NFL. He announced that, you know, officially on Twitter. Um, two guys have announced that they're staying, however. Uh, Penn State center Michael Mennett, which, you know, good call, Mike. Uh, yeah. Probably, you know, good chance you weren't going to get drafted. Best case scenario was the day three pick. And the biggest boon, I don't know if I'd say surprise, but the, the, the biggest deal for Penn State so far, the best positive news, is that true sophomore tight end, Pat Frymuth, who was eligible, found out he was eligible because he did a post-grad year after high school, he'll be able to, he'll be returning next year, he announced, which is absolutely huge for Penn State for multiple reasons, among which, I mean, he is one of the best tight ends in the country, even if the Mackey Award, the Mackey Award Committee is, I mean, I, I don't know. Someone needs to look if, you know, they're in a state that has, like, legalized marijuana or something because <laughs> I, I, I don't understand how he doesn't make a list of finalists that but you know I don't want to get going on a rant about that you know Pat Fryermuth is uh, someone that Sean Clifford has targeted again on again on, on critical downs third downs fourth downs you know he he is as important to this Penn State offense as another guy who could be leaving mm-hmm. in redshirt sophomore KJ Hamler um, you know he's a guy we haven't heard from yet uh, you know, John, he, he's one guy, he, he's hard to figure out. If I had to pick, if someone's, you know, gun to my head, does he stay or leave? You know, I, I would guess he leaves. But right now, that's just speculation on my part. You know, I don't know what he does. But, but what are you thinking with, with KJ? And, you know, what kind of impact do you think his potential departure, you know, might have on Penn State? Yeah, I think he's he's on the fence here too. Uh, I think he should go. Uh, I think he's, you know, a smaller guy who's only got so many reps in his in his career. Uh, because of that, a guy who relies on his speed and his acceleration. So, you know, the quicker you can get that NFL career started, the better. And he's talented enough to, at, at the very least, you know, potential day two pick, uh, you know, uh, second, third round, of course. Uh, and, you know, find himself in a situation where he can succeed. I think the impact is a pretty big one for Penn State. A lot of unproven guys at wide receiver. Uh, guys like Keandre Lambert and uh, Parker Washington in the freshman class are going to be relied upon next year, even if Hamler, uh, you know, were to stay. Uh, they need a third wideout. It seems that it'll be Jahan Dotson, uh, no matter what. And then if Handler leaves, it's probably Daniel George. And then you got to find that third wideout, uh, which is not a good sign. Uh, and it, it speaks volumes to what Frymuth's return means too. Uh, like you said, the clearly one of the best tight ends in the country. Uh, just a ridiculous idea, notion that he's not, uh, you know, a Mackey Award finalist. Uh, I thought, you know, he could potentially win it, but you know. Who am I to judge, you know, for those making those decisions? Clearly, they missed something, though. I think everyone would agree about that. Uh, but, yeah, Fryermuth is going to be a, a mainstay in this offense next year. I don't think there was ever a real shot he was going to leave. Uh, I think once he found out he was eligible, it was like, oh, cool, you know, and then, you know, made the decision pretty quickly. Of course, like you said, with Michael Mennett, uh, I think there's a uh, – him coming back is a major positive for him. Uh, he's going to be one of the best centers in the country next year, I think. Uh, and, and we'll have a chance to really improve that stock and turn himself into a, a early day three pick potentially. Um, and, you know, like you said with Hamler, though, that's the one that everyone's going to be looking at. That's the one they should be looking at. Yeah. If he decides to return, this offense is suddenly much more dynamic. Uh, but there, are, there is also a, a train of thought, you know, if, if he were to leave, maybe the ball gets spread around a little bit more. Uh, and, you know, you, you see guys getting the ball across the field a little bit instead of just targeting him and Fryermuth, which, as I've mentioned in the past, could be an issue uh, with this offense. But, you know, I, I think either way, you want Hamler back. There's no doubt about that. The offense is better with him on the field. He's so dynamic. He's such an, uh, an elite playmaker. You know, he can make things happen with the ball in his hands. He draws so much coverage without the ball in his hands. Uh, just someone that you, you really hope to get back if you're a Penn State fan. 
like I said, I think it's 50-50. I think he should go. Uh, I think he will go. But I think there's a legitimate decision being made here. Yeah, if he goes, it's not going to look good for the Penn State offense. Everyone has pointed to 2020 as, okay, this is the year, you know, where everything comes together and, and the Nittany Lions, if they're going to do something, it's going to be 2020. K.J. Hamler leaves, you know, that is a glaring weak spot that, I mean, you just can't replace a player like him. If, if we were handling, handing out MVP awards tomorrow, uh, John Slaver, I think my offensive MVP would be Hamler and Fryer and Tide. And if either of those guys would have left, um, or, or, you know, if KJ Hamler does leave, it, it's not going to bode well for, for the offense uh, at, at all, at all. Yeah, I, I think I think the emergence of Journey Brown could help mitigate some of that. I think he's been so good the last few weeks uh, that, you know, they clear, they have a clear number one back next year. And, of course, they are adding weapons that could help. But you're right, you know, it's it's not going to be a good thing if Hamler leaves. Uh, you know, I, this I, offense – Sorry. Well, I'd say I didn't mean to interrupt your train of thought, but I totally didn't. <laughs> but no, it's the one thing I would say is you mentioned those offensive player of the years. I would, I would throw Rasheed Walker in as an honorable mention. He was so good at left tackle for this team this year that, you know, I think he, the, the big guy deserves some love there. It's an MVP award. There is no honorable mention, but <laughs> I, I digress. Let's say KJ Hamler leaves. I, I understand what you're saying about journey Brown, but do you think this offense could be better in 2020 than 2019 if KJ Hamler leaves. I think it can be. Uh, I don't think it will be, but I think it can be. I think losing Hamler sort of forces Ricky Ronnie to spread the ball around a little more. We see, you know, it's funny at the beginning of the year, we were, you know, clamoring, like get the ball to Hamler. He's your, one of your best players. And I think that was more about getting him the ball in key situations and, you know, when they needed things most and not just sort of force feeding him the ball at all times, which I think is what it turned into as the year went on. Uh, we didn't see many wide receivers get, get many targets outside of him. Uh, but yeah, I think it could be better. I, I don't think it will be though. <laughs> okay. Well, I, you know, I guess that's one thing we'll have to see. One thing we can both agree on the guy to watch from here on out is, is obviously KJ Hamler. And, you know, he's someone, if he is on the fence, that's one decision we might not learn until after the bowl. So, you know, keep your eyes peeled on that. That's, that's definitely something that we'll be following. And again, I would expect him to be, you know, to, to, to likely go within the top 50, 60 picks of the, you know, 2020 NFL draft. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah. And, and two more guys to touch on here real quick, uh, two defensive backs, uh, Lamont Wade, of course, a redshirt junior this year will be a redshirt senior uh, next year. Could see him move on, has a decision to make, obviously hasn't announced yet. And Tariq Castro Fields uh, at corner, again, has a decision to make, could move on, has really a lot of the tools you want to see in an NFL cornerback. He's long, uh, he's athletic, he's uh, six foot two. You know, he's got, he's got a lot of desirable qualities that I think could boost him up some draft boards with a good combine and, and the like. But, you know, those are guys that losing them would obviously hurt Penn State, but I think they're more likely to come back than not. We'll see what happens. Uh, you know, that's, that's more of just an educated guess at this point. Of course, we haven't seen them make a decision just yet. But no, I mean, both of these guys, uh, you know, sh uh, excuse me, Shakatonia, Lamont Wade and Tree Castro Fields, um, I think we can both agree would be in their best interest to stay. But, you know, as we've seen in the past, you know, that's not always the case. I mean, certainly Ryan Bates and Connor McGovern would have benefited, or at least Ryan Bates would have benefited from coming back for another year. He ended up going undrafted and you know, he's currently with the Buffalo Bills now, which is good news for him. But, but yeah, you know, uh, both of these guys could certainly improve their stock. You know, Lamont Wade, I, I don't know where, you know, he would be drafted. He had a great year this year. If he can put it together again next year, 
um, you know, we could be talking, you know, about, you know, maybe day two, but, you know, as it stands right now, the safest decision for those guys is to, is to stay put. But, you know, again, we don't know their family backgrounds or, um, maybe just don't want to share some of the, 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 the family backgrounds that, that maybe they want to keep private. But I mean, certainly there are a lot of different things that these guys have to weigh. It's not as easy as, you know, what's best in the long term. you know, for some of these guys, you need to take into account, you know, short term as well. So, you know, again, we'll be following all of these, you know, Penn State is, is quicker than they've ever been before. And, um, you know, letting fans know whether or not they'll be coming back. So, you know, these are all, I guess when everything is said and done, I'm not really good with math, John Sauber, but, you know, there was, there was over six, uh, you know, so every year, you know, it seems that because of James Franklin's recruiting that there's, you know, a lot of underclassmen that kind of keep track of, of what they're doing next. And um, yeah, <laughs> this is, this is no exception, but uh, the good news is, you know, the, the 2020 NFL draft will be a little bit of fun. You know, we'll, we'll see another first round NFL draft pick most likely. And, you know, there should be some, uh, you know, picking up in the later rounds. Yep, I uh, totally agree. You know, we'll be watching all of that movement this offseason, whether it's, you know, potential uh, guys entering the draft, potential transfers. Of course, you can always catch that and uh, the rest of our coverage at Center Daily Times, uh, of course, at centerdaily.com. Uh, but that'll do it for this week's episode of Airing It Out. You can find us, as always, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you want to read Josh and I's writing, as I said, uh, you can subscribe to our sports pass from the Center Daily Times at centerdaily.com slash sportspodcast. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at, at by Josh Moyer and at John Sauber. Thanks for tuning in and have a great day.